Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, the, for what we're learning from your word about what it means to follow you as we follow you now towards Jerusalem, towards Good Friday and Easter. And we pray this evening, as, as many of us who have been away have had our faith strengthened over the weekend, we pray that here this evening you would strengthen our faith as undoubtedly this blind man's faith was strengthened, strengthened beyond measure by his encounter with you. May you strengthen our faith this evening. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. I heard th- uh, this week that double Olympic champion Mo Farah um, ran and won the rock and roll half marathon in New Orleans. Perhaps you read this in the, in the paper or saw it on the, on the news. And immediately after winning this half marathon uh, this week, a local radio station interviewer called Tanya Natu asked him live on the radio, have you ever run before? Uh, she, knew who he w- she knew he could run, uh, clearly, because he had won the race, but she was blind to the fact that he was the Olympic champion, twice over Olympic champion. And following an apology from the radio station, he was invited to return and run again in New Orleans. It'll be interesting to see if he does. The disciples, uh, in the story that Nelly read for us, the disciples are blind to the true identity of who Jesus at least they are identity to uh, they are blind to the necessity for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die they are blind to the possibility of resurrection the blind man strangely can see it's a cleverly written story the blind man with faith can see the sighted man with no faith cannot see True or false? Good essay title for, um, for you to discuss. The blind man with faith can see. The sighted man with no faith cannot see. True or false? Discuss. One of the things that has struck me as we've been reading through these chapters uh, in this series uh, in Luke's account of Jesus' progress towards Jerusalem is that the people who come to Jesus and are satisfied are often initially prevented from reaching him. If you look back to uh, 17, chapter 17, verse 11, you'll see that the lepers stood at a distance. Their disease kept them away. Or verse 1 of chapter 18, the, the widow had to be persistent in that story. She was prevented in the story initially from getting through to the judge. And it can feel sometimes that God is so far away from us that he doesn't hear our prayers. Look at the two men who went up to pray in chapter 18 of verse 9. One thought that he had the right to approach God, but the other stood at a distance, separated from God by his sin. He was prevented from coming to Jesus by his sin. The little children in verse 15 of chapter 18 are told that they should be seen and not heard. Don't come to Jesus. They're prevented from coming to Jesus. Whereas the rich young man, of course, is ushered eagerly into Jesus' presence. And later we'll see next week that Zacchaeus is prevented from, from getting to Jesus, partly perhaps because of his small stature, partly perhaps because of who he is and the crowd. And most dramatically in today's story, we have this blind beggar lying by the road being told to be quiet, shut up, 
don't interrupt. You're just a useless blind beggar. Though blind, though, he could see who Jesus was better than the others, better than the people leading the crowd who told him to be quiet. Some can see and want to get to Jesus. Others are blind to his identity and prevent people getting to Jesus. They don't know who he is. Now, what are we to make of that? Surely Luke tells us these stories quite deliberately. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, but all sorts of constraints will seek to prevent people getting to him. We see it in our own time, circumstances. Really, I have so little time to think about these things. Culture, discussing personal things like religion is not really on, is it? Perhaps I don't quite fit in, so I'm going to stay away. I'm not like those church people. Worse, you do not quite fit in, we say, or give the impression that we're saying to people, so stay away. One of my colleagues on the church staff went to another church not so long ago, he was telling me, where um, there were mostly much, much older people in the congregation. When he arrived, they were so shocked to see him. He's in his uh, early 30s. They said, you're much too young. You can't come here. (laughs) Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, we, of course, who are Christians, we are delighted. We are very familiar with Jesus. We are very comfortable with Jesus. We know he approves of us, after all. He doesn't mind if we sing the same songs again and again and again. He doesn't mind, does he, because he's so nice to us if we arrive a bit late for church or if we feel like staying away from church for a bit, have a bit of time off, because he's nice to us. He doesn't really mind if we know we ought to volunteer to serve in the church, but don't quite, because so much else is going on in our lives and we just can't fit it in right now. This is our comfortable Jesus. We know Jesus how quickly we can become like the Pharisees, how quickly we can become like those who prevent people coming to Jesus because we have this comfortable Jesus. But Jesus of Nazareth is passing passing through our community. And for those outside, he's not quite so comfortable. In fact, he can be very uncomfortable, not so easy to get to. But we'll see next week, very powerfully, one of the wonderful stories, a story unique uh, to Luke, the story of Zacchaeus. We'll see that Jesus comes for those who are often prevented from getting to him. He comes for those who are lost, for those distanced. It's for those that Jesus is coming. And actually, actually, that is us. So often, so often we are prevented by our sin, by circumstances, by culture, all sorts of things from really coming to Jesus and opening our lives to him. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And that has been and is all of, all of us. So let's have a look at this story of the blind beggar for a moment. First of all, I've called him society's whipping boy. Most groups of people create a whipping boy. Uh, Think of your office or your team, your friendship group, your college, whatever it is, school. There will be somebody, it's quite likely at least, that there will be somebody who is the kind of butt of jokes, uh, the easiest tease. 
Hopefully, as Christians, we spot this and we rise above it, but we easily can get dragged into it. There was a chap, I remember, in one team with which I was involved who was the whipping boy, and in a sense he asked for it, whipping boys often do, because he was a know-all. He always had the answer to everything. And the team that was, I was involved in were on a tour in the Caribbean. And they had a day off, and one of the team decided to organize something that they knew this know-all, the whipping boy, would not be able to do because they wanted a day free from the know-all. And they also wanted to take the mickey out of him because he couldn't do it. So they organized a day's scuba diving for the whole team very confident that he was not able to do it. And they told me that this is what they were going to do, and they went off and had the day. And next uh, evening, they got together, and I, uh, I saw this chap and said, how did it go? How was the scuba diving? He said, total disaster, he said. And he turned out to be a scuba diving instructor. <laughs> He's been bossing us around all day, he said. The chap was an outsider, prevented from being central to the team. He was a loner. And his personality in my story alienated him. This blind man is a sense society's whipping boy. When he cries out for attention, nobody wants to know. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. He's an embarrassment. And so he is prevented from coming to Jesus. There may be people that we know like that. And they may be people who need us to help them to get to Jesus. Let's not fall into the trap of jumping on the bandwagon and persecuting society's whipping boys. Secondly, I've called him a marginalized man. He is totally marginalized. He's an utterly desperate individual. Perhaps his circumstances are worse even than people like this we might be to Uh, we might see today. Humanly speaking, in that society at that time, worthless. He possessed nothing. He was a terrible drain on his family's resources, probably. I'm told that beggars would wait along the roads outside the, uh, uh, the roads near cities, outside the cities, hoping that travelers would take pity on them. And indeed, if you've traveled in developing countries, and of course, even here in Oxford, you'll find similarly people in busy places hoping that travelers will take pity upon them. There was no uh, provision for them. The injunction of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 25, verse 35, that the poor should be cared for, that there should be no poor in your society, was often ignored. Clearly, it had been ignored, for here was this blind beggar by the road. There was little hope and low-life expectancy for such people. He just lies there hopeless and largely forgotten. But he plucks up courage to ask what all the hullabaloo is about and is told that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And now we discover that like so many prevented in some way or other, perhaps their own fault, perhaps not, from coming to Jesus, we discover he has what the self-righteous man who went up to pray did not have. He has what the rich young ruler did not have although he had so much else. He has something more valuable than their respectability, something more valuable than their riches. He has a spark. Perhaps Jesus might have called it a mustard seed of faith. It's a very small mustard seed of faith, but it enables him to shout out to Jesus of Nazareth who's passing by a human description of a man from 
a nearby town, or not that far away, they're near Jericho, so it's from the northern part of the country, some distance away in fact. So a stranger, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, but he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on a messianic title. Son of David, have mercy on me. Do you know, every, every conversion to Christianity has in a sense to involve that moment. And often it seems to me that we miss that moment. Or when we preach the gospel, people like me don't encourage people to come to that moment clearly enough. There has to be a moment when the unbeliever realizes that there is a desperate need in their life for the forgiveness and mercy of God. Lord Jesus, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your touch in my life. I'm not doing any good without you. Not, conversion is not adding Jesus on to all the things that are going on in my life, which is what the rich young ruler wanted. I want all this stuff that I'm doing, but I want a bit of Jesus as well. He, he, need to, he needed to hand over his trust in his money to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm greedy. I've been trusting the wrong thing. This marginalized man has the faith to ask for Jesus to have mercy on him. He knew enough, he had heard enough about Jesus to begin to believe that he might be the Messiah. Uh, and he knew from his Old Testament, perhaps someone had read it to him. He knew that the Messiah would help the blind to see. It's one of the things that Isaiah says that the Messiah will do. The deaf will hear and the blind will see when the Messiah comes. Son of David, have mercy on me. Could this be the moment? I, I can't believe much, but I can believe a little bit. Is this the rescuer of his people? Is this the rescuer of me? Am I going to be the one that the Messiah touches who is blind and can see? A marginalized whipping boy he might be, but he knew that his moment, his opportunity had come, and he would not be silenced. He would not be prevented from getting to Jesus. And maybe there are some who we know who are like that. And we need to stop preventing them coming. He was a marginalized man and he was a desperate man. What do you want me to do for you? Asks Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> what a great question for the Son of God to ask. I wonder what I would have said at that moment if I had been... Uh, the blind beggar, what would you have said? A cup of tea would be good. A meal would be great. Some money to get through the next day. Somewhere to sleep other than the side of the road. No, he was desperate. He knew his life would only change if he could see. So he goes for the big ask, the really big ask. Lord, I want to see. Receive your sight, says Jesus. Your faith has healed you. It's a wonderful story. A desperate man who could now see. A man with no future, now in a position to follow Jesus. First into Jericho. What a stir that must have caused. They praised God, we're told. And then on to Jerusalem, because that's, he knows, where they're heading not that far to go from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And I assume that he did. We're told that he, that he followed Jesus. We assume that he kept following. 
No doubt he was not an educated man. He was not somebody who became significant probably in the early church, but we know the story. The story's here. Luke discovers the story, tells us about it. The early church knew about it. He kept following Jesus. Now he could see. The irony, of course, is that he joins a group of men and women, many of whom, though they've been following Jesus for some time, are still largely blind to what is going on. Just look again at verses 31 to 34 and see how blind they were. Jesus took the twelve aside, the ones who'd been with him all the time. We're going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. We turned over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on, flog him, kill him. On the third day he'll rise again. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They're blind to it. Can't see it. Luke is unpacking a really great theme here, a really important theme that we need to hang on to. He's giving us a glimpse of what is to come. On the one hand, the darkness is closing in on Jesus as they approach Jerusalem. Salvation, fullness of life, the new age of the kingdom, life in the Spirit, many ways in which we can describe what it is to be a Christian. Uh, All these things are about to happen, and it is necessary for the one who has come from the kingdom of light to confront the full power of the forces of darkness at the cross of Calvary. That's what Jesus has told the disciples. There can be no light unless I go to Jerusalem and there die and rise again, triumphing over the forces of darkness, opening the blind eyes. The disciples and the crowds couldn't see that, blind to it still. Jesus heals the blind man, of course because he has compassion on him, but also because he, he responds to the prayer of faith as he always does. But he's also teaching that the disciples' eyes, our eyes, must be opened to the necessity of his suffering, death, and resurrection. We need to see. We need to see. And we need to have faith in order to see. On the first Easter Sunday, Peter and the other disciples, in a sense, have their blind beggar experience. They see the risen Lord. We have seen the risen Lord. Do you remember that, how it's described? It's exactly what they say. We have seen. This blind beggar began to see earlier than that. Son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I'll follow you to Jericho, to Jerusalem, to the cross, on into the early church, telling my story in the marketplace, telling my story back in Jericho. I used to be blind. Now I can see. Jesus came by. I got to him. He had mercy on me, and now I can see. So I'm a believer in Jesus. It's changed my life. Must have been a powerful testimony. There must have been lots of testimonies like that because thousands of people got converted. What a story to tell. So where does that leave us? Well, we are greatly advantaged, of course. We are hugely advantaged. Like the disciples, we have what was written about the Messiah in the prophets, verse 31. Jesus has said to them, I'm not doing anything that hasn't been predicted by the prophets. You you, you should know about this in the Old Testament. There's going to be a suffering servant who takes the iniquity of the world upon himself. 
but death will not destroy him. His life will go on. Isaiah wrote about it, Jesus said. You, you, you know, read about it. What Jesus is talking about and fulfilling what, what was taught and revealed over hundreds of years. It's not some new fanciful revelation that Jesus of Nazareth, the wandering mag- magician from Nazareth, has just come up with. Hey, uh, this is something new. No, no. No, no, he says. This, is, this has been God's plan from day one. It is solidly predicted. You could have faith in this. You should be able to see it. We have the faithful accounts. Not only, not only do we have the prophets, but we have the faithful accounts of the disciples whose lives were transformed by the events once they became eyewitnesses. Once they could see, their lives were changed as this blind beggar's life clearly has been changed. Furthermore, we have 2,000 years of light dawning in the darkness of human suffering. 2,000 years of people discovering the truth and reality of the Christian message and the Christian experience. The light of Christ is being made known in the world, and it's making a huge difference. We have so many advantages. The predictions of the Old Testament, the historical accounts of Jesus, and the witness of the church for 2,000 years. How much more do we need in order to have faith to say, Son of David, have mercy on me? We're like the blind beggar lying by the, ba- by the roadside. We have heard that Jesus is passing by, and like him, day by day, week by week, month, month by month, we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. We want to see. May we have the faith, day by day, to say that prayer. Lord, have mercy on us. I want to see. You see, it's faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus that makes all the difference. Let's pray. Often, Lord, we pray, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. This this poor man must have had very, very little faith, and yet It changed his life completely. Most of us have come here this evening almost certainly believing, most of us believing. And Lord, we pray that you would give us that faith to cry out to you day by day, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then we will follow you wherever you lead us. And Father, I pray for those perhaps who, who still feel a bit like, if there are any here this evening, you feel like that blind beggar. What? The prayer ministry team had a, had a, had a picture beforehand that, that somebody was going to be very shocked this evening. And what a, what a shock for that blind man. This whole thing must have been. No possible thought of that at the start of the day. But this would happen to him. What a shock to find that he could see. Lord, I pray that you would give that shock to anyone this evening who's come with no faith, who can't believe or doesn't believe. Open their eyes, Lord, I pray, and help them to follow you. Amen.